Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 with Pastor John King. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. I thank you, I thank Bob, and I thank uh, James and everybody for giving me a Sunday off. Margaret and I were, uh, had a nice visit over the holiday with our grandkids and our, oh yeah, and our son and daughter. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, it, was, uh, it was a great time up there with them. And so thank you guys for giving us a week off. Amen. Now we're, we're back uh, to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue on. We've got a couple more. Uh, weeks of Ephesians leading up to our next book in the New Testament. But uh, um, if you would, today we're going to cover verses uh, 15 through 21 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. 15 through 21. And, and with the new year, let me just give you a, a quick uh, kind of update on um, you know, where we've been in Ephesians already this year or last year, I should say. Uh, we're, we were reminded, and I want to remind you again today, uh, the main theme of God's message in this letter is that you and I, if you're a born-again believer, would start to grasp and to comprehend what? Our spiritual riches in Christ. And Paul spends the first three chapters explaining that to us. Spiritual riches come in forms of possessions, if you will. The Father gives us uh, his plan for redemption. You know, he's, he's thought about you. He's been thinking about you for all of eternity. And so he's, he gives us the spiritual possession of his plan for redemption. We also receive from the Son, Jesus, his work on the cross to purchase our redemption. And, of course, from the Holy Spirit, his work to seal and secure our heavenly inheritance. He's been given to us as a helper, as a down payment for the future glory that we will have with Christ. So we have our spiritual possessions, but we also need to remember our spiritual position in Christ. By God's power, we've been raised from our spiritually dead state, amen, and made alive in Christ so that like Jesus, we are in a spiritual sense seated with him in heaven. We share his throne in the heavenly places. And this understanding comes by way of a very humble truth. The fact that we were once hopelessly separated by our sins, but we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So we were as far away as you can be from God, but through Christ, we are as close as, you'll, as we can be here on this earth. And we'll be much closer, of course, in heaven. And so... As we come in, we also realize that there's two major portions to this letter to the Ephesians, verses 1 through 3, our spiritual riches. And also, the second major portion of the letter, chapters, verses, uh, chapters 4 through 6, and that's what we've been learning about for the last several weeks prior to the Christmas break. And that's our duty and our responsibilities in Christ. And this is referred to as our walk. This is how you live how you occupy your time, how you conduct yourself. God's desire um, is displayed, how, how we live is displayed now, it's, it's seen. You say, well, okay, I walk in, in how I live my life, and it's put on display by walking with renewed thinking, by being in God's word, by being sanctified and set apart from the world, 
by putting off sinful habits and putting on the things of God, the fruit of the Spirit, kindness and tenderness and forgiveness, by being thankful, you know, as opposed to always taking and tearing down that negative attitude that can get a hold of us. By walking, as we learned uh, three weeks ago, as children of the light. And knowing that because of Jesus that we are light in the world. We are light in the world. And he calls and equips us to walk in truth and holiness. So today, we'll continue in Paul's instruction on how to walk carefully with wisdom. And boy, is it needed. How to walk carefully and how to walk with wisdom. And making good use of the time that we have. But just as important as that, you know, we can think we're crossing the T's and dotting the I's of our spiritual piety. You'll never do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, let's read the passage we have this morning before us. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Paul writes, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for where you've placed us, Lord. Every, every step we take has, doesn't escape your knowledge, Lord, whether we walk in harmony with you or whether we choose to walk in disobedience. But Lord, I just, I'm thankful for the fact that we're here we're here to honor you. We're here to hear your word. Lord, I, I believe that each and every one of us wants to continue to get a, off to a really good start this year. There's something fresh about a new year and a new season in our lives. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would help us. And Lord, for those of us who are not having such a good season, and we know that they come, I just pray, Lord, that uh, we'll be comforted by you comforted by the hope that we have in you. And so, Lord, we just we set this time aside for you to, to delve into your word, to have an understanding and a deeper sense of how you speak to our hearts and to do it among one another with the goal and the, and the desire that you have, and that's to transform us and to grow us and to, to mature us and to shape us as your children. So, Father, we, we ask for your blessing. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we take in your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. 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 Well, as we said, walking, you know, we know we're doing life, right? We're doing this life. We're getting older every year. Some of us, we're, uh, we're getting maybe not feeling well often, maybe getting sick more often. We're watching our kids grow up. We're watching our grandkids grow up. We're watching our country all over the place, seeing the things in this world. And so we need to know how to walk in wisdom. And wouldn't you know it, God is here to tell us how to do that. God has got the plan. He's got the purpose for us. As we sang this morning, there's purpose in your plan. 
And so how do we walk in wisdom? First of all, we do this by being careful and concerned about God's plan and purpose. Okay, we have our own agendas. We have our own plans. We need to get centered on God's plan. It's a great way to start the year out, actually. And so he says in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly. See then. That, that means to perceive with care. To proceed with caution, if you will. To be wise about what you're doing, how you're walking in your life as a Christian. And then he says to do it circumspectly. That uh, acrobos. That means diligently. That means accurately. As though you're tracing the course of your life as you, as you walk. Not haphazardly or carelessly. We know what it's like to drive with the fog on the windshield. You know, the defroster's not working. You have to get your window down to see to the left or, or to the right. We know what it's like to kind of walk through life haphazardly sometimes. And how you have no direction. You know, you're like a rolling stone. You know, wherever the wind blows, you're going. But for the Christian, we are to, this is a command. We are to walk carefully and circumspectly. Why do we want to do that? Well, because you and I want to live according to God's wisdom, right? I mean, are you, are you, how are you doing with your own wisdom apart from God? How is that going for you? So he says, walk circumspectly. And then he does a little comparison. He says, not as fools, but as wise. Don't be foolish. James 3.13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So you see a little, you know, our conduct and how it's important, how we live our lives in a humble and meek attitude. And so that's, that's a, a wise way to live, having spiritual and practical wisdom. And then he goes on and he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Literally, think of it as buying up the time. The time that you have. Making the most of your time to be, what we say, useful. Okay, useful is a good thing. Lord, help me to be useful in all situations. As opposed to simply killing time. Now, it is so easy to kill time nowadays, isn't it? I mean, how many hours would you ask the Lord to give you back? I used to say from watching TV, but now I can say from messing around with my phone. And hopefully not in an inappropriate way, but still we, we spend a lot of time on our devices. And you look at the statistics, I'm not going to bore you with them. But every year it seems to go up. Average time spent on devices goes up and up and up the older you get. And that's why so many parents are holding back on letting their kids get those devices. But the pressure mounts. The pressure mounts. So they're not bad but they need to be used properly. So instead of killing time, now this word time, uh, there are two words in the Greek for time. And so here we see the word kairos. You may have heard that. That's an opportune or seasonable time. An opportune time. And that is uh, in, in opposition or as opposed to chronos, where we get the word chronology, you know, minutes and se seconds and minutes and hours and days and years, you know, just a chronological type of time, the 24 hours in a day. And so Paul is saying that the time we have, the kairos that we have is, um, it's a place where we can 
take advantage of strategic opportunities for the gospel. Strategic opportunities. They're everywhere. And there are various reasons why the vast majority of Christians never tell anyone about their faith. But we're not going to preach on that today. But there are, there are strategic opportunities for us. So whatever it is you're doing in life as a Christian, be careful. Think about it. Redeem the time. And he says, why? He, now Paul wants to convey a sense of urgency. He wrote this letter 2,000 some odd years ago. Because the days are evil. The days are evil. They're toilsome. They're difficult. This word evil is uh, paneros. And why do I point this out? Well, because there's another word, again, you know, Greek is very complex. There's another word for evil called uh, kekos. Kekos is a general sense, the general condition of evil, our fallen nature. But here, this paneros has a stronger meaning than the other word for evil. Um, it refers to the malignant one, Satan, which is active, aggressive, and pernicious. And that is why you and I fight a spiritual battle. We don't battle flesh and blood. There's a great spiritual battle going on, has been going on, and continues. And when we get later, as we finish this letter in Ephesians, we're going to talk. We're going to spend at least one or two Sundays talking about spiritual warfare. Because it comes right at the end of all these ways. And he's how God is instructing us how to live our lives. Paul finishes the letter. It's such a great letter. By talking about the things that will really stop us from living our lives as Christians. And that's the spiritual warfare and the spiritual attacks that we endure. So, redeeming the time, it refers to the current times as opposed to the coming time. When Jesus will return and vanquish evil. Now that is our hope. We know Jesus is coming back. That's our message. For those who don't know Jesus, look, he's coming back. He's going to be your judge or your king. And you want, to, you want to be on the side, the right side of history, okay? And for all of eternity. So he's coming back. The current time is characterized, as we said, by disobedience and the corrupting influence of the enemy, Satan. So being concerned about taking every opportunity to honor Christ, this is a daily habit to live and to maintain. It's a great way to start the new year. It's a great way to start the new year. Being watchful at every turn, not paranoid, okay? Not paranoid, but not aloof either. You have a lot of information on the internet. You can kill a lot of time with conspiracy theories. And I'm not trying to point out anybody in this room because I'm just as, you know, I, I will go there. That clickbait gets me too. But be very careful with how you redeem the time, especially in today's day and age. Being watchful, but not paranoid. Another thing we need to be careful of, though, is this what I'd call spiritual, being on spiritual autopilot spiritual autopilot. It's very dangerous. Why? Because we know we're saved and we know we're secure in Christ. But it's no excuse for putting God aside and just living in our own bliss or our own busyness. So as this year begins, you know, you've got your calendar. You've already started filling it out. You've already put in place all the activities you would like to accomplish this year, perhaps. 
But flying on autopilot can be very dangerous. Falling asleep spiritually can result in running out of fuel and crashing. We see it all the time. People's faith is being shipwrecked because they haven't put things in a proper perspective. Speaking about the problem of busyness, uh, Hughes writes this. He says, Our busy lives, we have the, ad- okay, in our busy lives, we had the added pressure of knowing that things tend toward degeneration and evil if we do not attend to them. Because you know your Bible, you know, uh, it's obvious things are going to be, our bodies are corruptible, we're getting old, evil continues, evil persists, and we need to tend to them. If you ignore your garden, it will be overrun with weeds and the fruit will fail. Forget your body and it will vegetate and degenerate. (laughs) And far more important, lack of attention to the interior life and one's important relationships will mean a personal decline. This world has a natural tendency towards corruption. So as we begin our new year and start to plan our goals and activities for 2023, are you and I in prayer? You know, I've been, I've been harping on that lately. You can ask Pastor John. We need to pray about every single thing we do as a church. Every single thing we do. Gathering on Sunday, taking the youth on a wonderful trip this Saturday, planning a marriage retreat. You and I, we all need to partner. Whether you participate in these events, we all need to partner together and pray. And so plan and pray. I should say pray and plan and pray and plan and pray and pray and pray and pray. Amen. Amen. That's right. Thank you. And are we committed and are we being obedient to buy back the limited time that we have? You know, this self-pleasure, we we often call it me time. And you say, well, I got to have my me time. We all do. But how much is your me time start to become all the time? We need to watch that. We want to be useful. And am I being watchful and sober about the important things in life? So, if we are to walk in wisdom with care and concern for God's plan, that's what we all want to do. Amen? Amen. How are you going to do it? Well, let's look at verses 17 and 18. Two commands that God has for us, that Paul has given. One is, first of all, to know God's will. And secondly, to yield to the Holy Spirit. Know God's will, yield to the Holy Spirit. Verses 17 and 18. He says, therefore, do not be unwise. Again, unwise is senseless, foolish, and stupid. Do not be stupid. Did I call you stupid? No. Do not be stupid. Don't be stupid. You aren't stupid, but don't be stupid, John. In this case, being ignorant of God's concerns and authority. That is one of our biggest problems. We live our lives as unbelievers. We live our lives as though God didn't ever exist. He was never there. We are guilty of that. And we need to repent of that. He says, therefore, in light of the fact that the days are evil and because of what we need to walk carefully... He says, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. What does unwise look like? Well, an extreme example would be found in Psalm 14, verse 1. It says, the fool has said in his heart, 
There is no God. There is no God. And, and, and he goes on, and he declares, they are corrupt, they have done abominable works, and there is none who does good. And he's speaking about the depravity of mankind. And why we have a Savior, why Jesus had to die on the cross, is we understand that. He says, so he, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand. Perceive. The will of the Lord is simply what God desires to be done in your life through his commands and precepts, through his word. Now the word will is a, is a Greek word, it's a thelema. And we find this word will being used in the book of Ephesians six times to describe God's will. So we've seen it already several times. It was God's will that Paul would be an apostle to the Gentiles. It was God's will that we would be adopted into the kingdom of God. It is God's will to have revealed the mystery of the church through the Apostle Paul. God's will for us to have an inheritance in heaven. And God's will for our service to the Lord. Those are all God's will playing out in our lives. In the, in the context of Ephesians, overarching, if you want to say, well, what's the big broad picture here? God's will is to bring all of creation under the authority of Jesus Christ. And I love to look at that, and you'll hear me say that. I'll get a glimpse of the Webb telescope or the Hubble telescope or the stars at night, and I can be reminded, you can be reminded, that God has placed all things under the authority of Jesus Christ. And when he comes to return to the earth, we're going to see it firsthand. Now, many times, though, as believers, we tend to ignore or put aside the question about God's will. Why do we do that? Well, perhaps we think it's too mysterious. Perhaps we think it's too complicated. Or, more likely, our busyness and life's everyday struggles start to clutter our mind and our vision. We start to lose sight of the big picture. Because we're so immersed in the thing that's nearest to us. And it's going to happen when you're in a, you know, a rough spot. When you get whatever it is that's happening to you. That diagnosis is going to get all of your attention. That's what happens. And God helps you fight through that spiritually. And I know there are some who can attest to that. I can attest to it personally. But I know many of us who've lived long enough can attest to the fact. That as we hang on to him, he will see us through. So yes, our attention will be sometimes focused on the very near problem. But he gives us the opportunity to clutter, unclutter our minds and see the grand plan, the big plan that he has and the will that he has in our lives. And oftentimes, it's in the rearview mirror. As we go through life, you're, you know, you're sitting on a swivel chair. <laughs> Boom, and you look back at your life and you realize all the things he's done. And you count your blessings. Now you say, well, what's the cure? I, you know, I need to know God's will. What's the cure? Well, it's right before you. It's right, right in your lap right now. It's right below your noses. It's, got, it's the word of God. The Bible has much to say about God's will. I've got, I'm going to read several passages. We don't have slides for them. I'm not going to go through them all. But here's, a, here's some of the things we can take from God's word about his will. God's will is always good, acceptable, and perfect. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. 
Romans 12, 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and per the perfect will of God. Doing God's will sustained Jesus all through his earthly ministry. If you want to be like Jesus, you'll see his pattern. After speaking to the woman at the well with the disciples, again, and then they came back from town, they had all the goodies and the groceries, and they're like, come on, Jesus, let's eat. Why are you talking to that woman, by the way? Let's eat. And you know, they miss it all like we do. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking. Why was he even talking to the Samaritan woman? And it's time to chow down besides. But John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was sustained by doing God's will. And as I said earlier, sometimes, however, the, world, the will of God does lead to suffering. It does lead to suffering. 1 Peter 3.17, though, says, It is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Jesus prayed in the garden, O Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he did that two times. So Christians, we are to strive. It's a commandment. We are, we are to strive to know the will of God. We're also to pray for God's will to be done in the world. The first thing we teach our kids is the Lord's Prayer. Let thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus counted those who did God's will as his own family members. You know, it's good. It's so nice to be in a family. We we're talking about that this morning. It's so good to be in the family of God. And this is not a weird cult thing. It is just biblically nice to be in the family of God. He says, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He says, and the world is passing away, 1 John 2, 17. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So, you know, if you're taking notes and you want to make a New Year's resolution and you, maybe you don't believe in those, hey, I would suggest that you, that you strive to do the will of God. That be your priority. That would be my priority, the will of God. Our second command today from Paul is to be controlled by the Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit. You know, simply knowing the Word of God, knowing God through His Word, that's the first step, coming to faith in Christ. That's the first step, coming to salvation. But we also must lean on the divine provision of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, this Christian life is not going to work. You know, when you put off the Holy Spirit, you grieve the Holy Spirit, you're, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're insulting the Lord. He says in verse 18, he goes right to it. He says, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So right now he's going to contrast the, the difference between being uh, under the effect of alcohol versus being under the effect or yielding to the Holy Spirit. To be drunk is, we know, to be intoxicated. 
The word dissipation means excess, riotous, and wasteful. We know what that means, some of us. Ephesus was seated in the middle of ancient wine country. I mean, it was the place, you know. It was, it was the, they had the wine god Bacchus, you know. This was celebrated. He was celebrated by both the Greeks and the Romans. And all through the centuries, and you, you know, they've done some, he dominated the, and he enslaved many to alcoholism. And so, you know, this, I guess I got to be careful with what I say because we know drunkenness is a sin, but to drink alcohol in itself, by itself, is not a sin. To sip wine is not a sin, but drunkenness is a sin. Now, I haven't found a way to make it work, so I don't drink. But that doesn't make me self-righteous or better than any of you. Uh, I have personal reasons why I don't drink, and I also don't believe that it's it's just not a good thing for a pastor to have wine or whiskey on his breath. I just don't think that's right. And I don't miss it. And so if you were to ask my opinion, and I've said this before, if you were to come to me in a private conversation and say, talk about uh, alcohol and whether you use it or not, I would probably try to talk you out of it. So therefore, I've had nobody come talk to me. (laughs) So either you guys, none of you drink, or only some of you do. But we we don't want to overstate the issue, okay? But we know it's a tremendous problem in our society. A tremendous problem. I can't say enough about it, and so I won't continue to talk too much about it. But because drunkenness leads to debauchery, it's degrading and the drinker to the drinker and others. Most of us are perhaps too familiar with the effects of drunkenness on our families and society. So if you need a quick review about drunkenness, All you need to do is read Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. There you'll read about needless bruises, bloodshot eyes, things that bite like a snake, wild hallucinations, feeling like you're riding on the high seas of a a tall-masted ship on the very top in a very stormy weather, and waking up with a vicious hangover. If you want to have a review about what it's like to be drinking and to be drunk, Well, just read Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. In the Bible, the first case of intoxication on record was that of Noah in Genesis 9, 21. The sin of drunkenness is frequently and strongly condemned all throughout the Bible. The sin of drinking to excess seems to have been not uncommon among the Israelites, according to Easton's Bible Dictionary. And just one last warning about drunk, being a drunk. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived? And then all the way, he makes the list. In verse 10, it says, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. So in order for this command to be truly obeyed, a Christian is not simply told to avoid getting intoxicated, though. That's not what he's saying. I mean, I may have said more than I needed to say about it. He's not talking about not getting intoxicated, but instead, that very important conjunction, but. Instead, but be filled with the Spirit. And so it briefly parallels drunkenness, spirit filling, very briefly, not for very long. Because the comparison between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit 
becomes a contrast really quickly. Because unlike intoxication where you lose control, being filled with the Holy Spirit does not, hear me, does not cause you to lose control. It does not cause you to lose control. 1 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, be filled. That means to be filled or made full. Now, Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled Christians. That's a loaded question. That's a loaded statement in our Christian culture in America. In some parts of the church, Spirit-filled refers to public displays of being slain in the Spirit. Of being, you know, out of control and unfortunately drawing a whole lot of attention and bringing a lot of confusion. For others, it's the opposite. You say, well, it's salvation. God placed the Holy Spirit in me. That's true. And therefore, I don't need to be filled again. I'm just going to obey and live a life of piety. I'm just going to live the straight life. The problem is, and you, you may well know this, you know, if you try to live the straight life apart from the Holy Spirit of God working in your life, you're going to run into that brick wall that Paul ran into in Romans 7.24. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He was sick of his sin. You ever get sick of your sin? You ever, you know, have the thoughts come and, and the activity that goes on in your mind that only you and God knows? And don't you get fed up with it sometimes? Without the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life becomes what? A kind of like a self-crucifixion, if you will. I'm going to fight the battle in my own strength, despite the constant failings and setbacks. Instead of trusting the Holy Spirit to give me the moment-by-moment -moment power to have victory, as I then declare like Paul in Romans 8, once he came out of that, in verse 1 he says, There's therefore now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the problem lies, if, if you have a problem, maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, I already get it, John. Go on to the next. But maybe we need to be reminded. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's break it down. We're going to do a little bit of a Greek study. This is not mine. This is from another author, a Greek scholar. The phrase to be filled, which is pleru, it's a verb. To be filled is a verb, obviously. It's called a present passive imperative second person plural. <laughs> Don't be too impressed. I'm not. So what does that mean? Well, here's four things that that means. First of all, it's a command, not a suggestion. We're not free to ignore the exhortation to be yielding to the Holy Spirit, to be full of the Spirit. It's a command, first of all. Second, it's a plural command. It's to the whole church. It's, it's none of us are to get drunk. All of us are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not for the few, the spiritually elite. No, not for just the pastor and the assistant pastor. 
and the worship team. No, it's for all of us. So it's a command, a plural command for all of us. It's also a passive command. What? Well, the Greek are complex. I mean, they, they cover all the bases, okay? That's why the Bible came out during the time when the Greek language was the dominant language of society. Because it so greatly explains the will of God. A passive command, it says, it means, let the Holy Spirit fill you. There's no ritual. There's no formula. You don't have to be slain. We must turn from any known sin. We must open our heart to God's word so that it dwells richly in us. And we must yield to the Spirit. So it's a command for all of us, but it's a passive command. Let yourself be filled. And finally, it's a present tense command. It's not once and for all. It's not one and done. You and I, we are to go on being filled. And we are to keep on drinking and drinking and drinking of the Holy Spirit. To put it another way, to be filled with the Spirit is a continuous act on His part and our part. He's ready. To have Him fulfilling us in all that He came into our hearts to do in the first place, Jesus said, I've sent a helper. I'm going to send a helper to you. Not more of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that because we need to understand that he just wants more conformity to his mind and his will because he already resides within you. Amen? You won't have the Holy Spirit if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian. But if you are, he already abides in you. Don't resist him when you grieve him. Confess your sins, be restored, and be filled. Rinse and repeat. All day long. That's what happens. That's the life. Yeah, we get that's Sometimes that's why we're tired. <laughs> okay? We, sometimes that's why we're tired, because we're so busy, busy battling ourselves. <clears throat> and so when you've done that, when that, that becomes your habit, knowing the will of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's, that's our new, new Year's resolution, Okay? Well, here's one way that it will look like. When we're under divine control, you and I will now have a desire, a desire in our hearts for what? Edification, praise, and thanksgiving. In fact, divine control brings singing and thankfulness. You say, I'm not a very good thinker. Just thinker, singer. Let's <laughs> thank and think. Anyway. I'm not a very good singer. Well, okay, I'll give you that. Maybe you're not. But you're going to sing anyway. You should sing anyway. But if you're not thankful, then what's the purpose? Why do you, want to, why do you call yourself a Christian if you can't be thankful? I know times can be tough. And I know sometimes we, you don't like the music we do here. I get that part. My challenge to you is to consider what singing does for us. That's why we have our sound system set up so that we can hear the congregation. You can hear yourself singing. We're not here to blast you with entertainment. 
I diverge. Ephesians 5, 19 through 20, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And we, as we said, this is how we do it, in an edifying manner with music. And you think, well, what am I going to do? Am I just going to go, hey, how's it going there, buddy? Put some rap or some music to everything, every conversation. You know, my, my, all my language is a musical note. Yeah, James, you know what that's like. You and I talk like that all the time, right? <laughs> No, I mean, it's, it's not, it's, you know, we're, what do you bring when you come to church, when you come into fellowship? I do, I get it that times can be tough for us, but what do you bring to the table? You got, you got a complaint you want to you air out? There's a place for that. There's a place for that. We're not beyond suggestions, but what do you bring in? Bring the joy of the Lord. Bring music. It's a wonderful form of spiritual communication. You know, this is what made the church famous in society in the earliest days. You know, the Romans, they didn't quite know what to do with the church, this early Christian followers. Way back in the early days, there were letters written to the Roman empires, or excuse me, emperors, about what the church was doing. You know, they're writing, they're telling the emperor, hey, you know what these Christians do? They get together and they sing a bunch of songs. To this unknown God, you know, these letters are going back to the emperor of the whole, you know, Roman Empire. They do it on the Lord's Day. And sometimes they spontaneously sing as they're led by the Lord. Ooh, don't go there. <laughs> James 5.13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then let him pray. But if anyone is cheerful, let him sing psalms. <clears throat> So if you're not singing psalms when I see you, I guess you must not be cheerful. No, I can't say that. But he says, singing songs in your heart. Okay, well, not only to others, but you can say, look, I don't have a good singing voice, but I can sing in the shower like you would not believe. I can sing songs and praises to God. I can sing within my heart while I'm driving down the road. I can sing to that song. My heart is steadfast. Psalm 57, 7, David said, Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. I will sing and give praise. So being spirit-filled, yes, it leads to singing. And as we were saying, some of the great moments in the church history do attest to this. You know Martin Luther, the great Reformation? Guess who brought hymns into the church? Martin Luther did. How about Charles Wesley and the Wesleyan Revival? You know, him and his brother, they wrote 6,000 hymns. It was one of the greatest movements of the church in all of the history of the church. It was a major part, music was a major part of D.L. Moody's ministry in the 1800s with this guy, Ira Sankey. They, they were known for going and they had these great revivals. And of course, Billy Graham and Cliff Barrows. Some of you are familiar with his wonderful voice and all the others who sang with him. And of course, you and I, we all have. So you go to a Calvary Chapel. We have a great musical heritage in Calvary Chapel. You know, for, some, for better or for worse, depending on your opinion, that's why you see drums and guitars and organs. Well, that was there already, pianos. But that's why you see modern praise and worship in a large part to what was done early on in the Calvary Chapel movement. You can, you can either blame or be thankful for that. In February, uh, we hope to air a movie. Uh, we're hoping to rent a theater locally and to go 
watch a story that Greg Laurie uh, helped guide about the beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement. We want to do it as a church family. Celebrate. That's the sort of the heritage you come from. So music is a wonderful thing. Of course, you guys know that. You know I might be a little biased about music as well. But notice he says in verse 20, as we, continue, as we start to conclude, giving thanks for all things, or always, for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we talk about singing, but what about thankfulness? To be grateful on account of something. Always for all things. And you say, wait a minute. All things? What about that terrible shooting that took place? That six-year-old that went to the school and shot his teacher. Are we to be thankful to God for that? No. So we're not talking about losing sight of God's character or the truth of his word and being thankful. He's not the author of evil or confusion. Of course, we can praise God. John Stott wrote this. We can praise God for being able to bring good out of evil. He says, when you do that, that's praising God for being God. It's not praising him for being evil. Remember that. And so we praise God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was radically obedient unto death. And you and I should be radically obedient to give thanks to God with a spirit-filled attitude. Is that asking too much? We're not talking about loading you up with a bunch of works. If you and I will submit and know God's will in our lives and be filled with the Holy Spirit, just watch what he's done. Just watch what he's done and watch what he will do in your life and in the life of our church. Finally, we see a kind of a setup for the next section of Ephesians. In verse 21, he says, Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, or in the fear of God. Hupitasso, submitting. Oh, that's a word we don't get to use in our society, especially when a man says it. And the total, we're going we're to hopefully learn about how our society has twisted that term and misrepresented God. And we're going to learn about what submission is. Not because I say it, but because God is saying it. It's to subject oneself and to obey. Notice in the fear of God, it's to honor Christ. It's to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the final result of spiritual filling, is mutual submission, yielding to him. Jesus is always going to be our example. John 13, verses 14 through 17 he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not going to try and oversimplify your life and your circumstances. Forgive me if it seems like I have. But it sure is comforting to know that God has a plan and a purpose for us. Amen? Amen. And we've learned today, once again, our responsibilities toward God and to each other. To care about the things we do and the time we've been given. 
Not only are the days evil, but they are very short. We only have today. Tomorrow is no guarantee. For those of you who have listened or even possibly sat under the teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, you know he said this very often. It was a famous quote. I don't know if it was his quote, but he would say it very often. He would say, We only have one life. It will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ is what will last. So as we close the service and we get ready for our final song, I pray that it does fill your heart with joy and comfort as we come one last time today and, and sing a song. I pray that it brings a fullness in your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done today just to teach us, Lord. Thank you that you've poured out your wisdom and your power upon, among us. And yes, Lord, we need, to be, we need these reminders. We need these reminders each and every day. I pray, Lord God, that it would be a new season for a personal commitment to devotions, quiet time with you and just with you, whether that's early in the morning, during the day, or late in the evening, whenever that is, Lord, whatever schedule we have, I pray that we will prioritize those things first. I pray, Lord God, that we would really try hard and really seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to know your will for our lives. I pray that we will continue to join in prayer for all the things that we try to do as a church family, the events that we sponsor and participate in. I pray for each and every household today, all the families that are represented here at our little church, Calvary Chapel of Elizabeth City. Lord, we seek your blessing. your face shine upon us. We, we seek that holy smile from you. Would you grow in our hearts, Lord? We thank you once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.